All right, so welcome back to this week's episode of the Movie Babble Podcast. This week, it's myself and Nick, and we're breaking down the uh, big Universal versus sometimes everybody, sometimes nobody fight, as well as some of the changes to the Oscars, uh, Netflix's top 10, and what we've been watching, uh, which you know, the last one will be a pretty interesting category. But uh, we'll just jump into theaters versus Universal which has been just kind of a big issue since Trolls World Tour, uh, for the most part, forewent its theatrical release and just decided to drop on video on demand, uh, which is pretty unprecedented for a movie of that size. And it sparked a lot of debate with Universal saying that, oh, based on this success, we're going to kind of move on and make this maybe the norm for some of our movies. And obviously the movie theaters didn't sit too well with that, particularly AMC which uh, swore to not show any more <laughs> And then Cineworld, which owns Regal as of last year, um, jumped on and said, you know what, we're not going to do this either. But then the next day, Regal jumped in and said, actually, we will play Universal movies. Please don't hate us. And it's just been kind of a mess. I, I don't think that AMC is going to be able to carry um, itself not playing Universal movies, especially if it's the only chain that's really doing that, just because you do have big stuff coming out like uh f10 what's it called fate of f9 i don't know it's a fast and furious movie uh coming out now next year and you've got you know uh halloween and the jurassic world 3 uh whenever that comes out after all these release date adjustments uh but i don't think amc is going to be able to keep up on their uh, threat oh yeah there's no way like like the theaters and all of this, they basically have no bargaining power whatsoever. Like their margins have been going down for years. And like, this has been like, this is no secret. Like theaters are struggling really bad. And like a couple of, there are a lot of them are closing around the country, which is unfortunate. But I think a lot of this is just like them being like, well, we see like with them and Trolls World Tour being a success on VOD and Universal being like, hey, like we think this is good for our business moving forward that they, they kind of just see like the end, their end maybe it's sometime in the, in the future. So it was, this was definitely a lot of them just being like, hey, like we can't let this happen. We need to do something radical. Um, so they sent out that just incredibly petty letter <laughs> in response to the Universal um, kind of uh, the Universal news uh, uh, break that I think they did to the wall street journal or forbes or one of those um but yeah this is this is total posturing and them just trying to flex whatever they have um i don't think it's incredibly successful because like you said like there's no way they they just can't not show universal movies it's just like one of their money makers left like the fast and furious movie it made over a billion dollars the last one so like it would be stupid of them not to look at that as a as a just a strong profit profitable move for them so um it's i i feel bad because like you know like we knew the theater issue stuff like all this was this has been swirling for a while um and it's just it's only a matter of time before like a big like thing kind of just mucked everything up and i just think it's crazy that that was trolls world tour (laughs) (laughs) the fact that it's trolls world tour that's kind of like torpedo torpedoing all this forward is just insane to me um but yeah it's this is it's just kind of uh, it's pumping up the timeline in a sense like this is probably going to happen at some point but with all this craziness in the world that we have like it was just it just kind of sped everything up exponentially yeah and i think universal is jumping the gun a little bit just based off of 
It's just how unique these circumstances are. Um, so you look at, you know, they claim to have over a hundred million, I think even close to $150 million um, from all this video on demand release. But I think you just have to look at how much bigger that would be if you were paying per ticket in a theater, whereas video on demand, you're paying, you know, 19 bucks for the whole family. And especially with a movie like Trolls World Tour, you're probably getting the whole family. So that's three or four tickets that you're getting um, in a theater setting that you're only getting, you know, the profit of two of those from the streaming service. And you also have to look at it as well. People don't really have many options right now. So this is something to do with parents that are probably being driven crazy uh, by having their kids at home. And so I think it's just such a unique circumstance to try and push that right now. Um, and I, you know, I, I agree that theaters are kind of dying and, and that's sad, but I, I don't think they're completely dead, especially when you look at bigger movies that are going to be in Universal's lineup, like the Fast and Furious movie, like Jurassic World, like even Halloween Kills or Ends, whichever one comes out this year, um, that people are going to want to see in the theater and are going to prefer that experience, especially once we can get back out and there's going to be, you know, everybody trying to go do things once the world kind of open up, opens up again. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, I think it was Spielberg who said this a while ago, maybe like two, three years ago when they had all these like quotes about Netflix or whatever like that. And basically he said that theaters would eventually go the way of, of like Broadway where you just do these crazy big exhi exhibitions where it's something like your end games and your, your destiny furious are the one only ones that show in theaters. And then everything else kind of goes wherever to like these, the small art house cinemas or they go to VOD. Um, and I definitely think that's, that's, that's where we're heading. I, I mean, who knows like that, that might be 30 years from now, 40 years from now, maybe 10 years from now, or maybe five, who really knows. But I think that's probably the, the trajectory of all this in the super long term. Um, but yeah, like you said, like, I don't really like trust, like anything that any, any of the numbers that I would get as a company, like during this crazy time, like the way I would look at the trolls world tour, um, numbers is like, Oh, thank God we didn't, we made some money off of this. And this is like very beneficial to us in the short term when we have to worry about like keeping salaries and not laying people off, like being successful in this time is really good. But like, yeah, like you said, there's like nothing going on <laughs> at this time. Like, like Tiger King was insane because we had nothing else to talk about. And it was a, sort of a crazy doc that everyone latched onto. And I feel like this is like, yeah, like parents, a lot of this was like, Oh, thank God we have like stuff to show our kids and like, they can just leave us alone for a little bit. Um, yeah. I, and there was like numbers about the hunt, which, didn't do particularly well on VOD. And I mean, a lot of that was because it was in, it was in theaters for a little bit and there's definitely other extenuating circumstances because that movie just moved um, release dates and had a whole controversy and everything like that. But th th that didn't, that movie didn't seem to do well. Um, yeah. I think it's way too soon for universal to be like, all right, we're going to put all our stuff on VOD and it's going to be tw 20 bucks and we're all going to do well. Like it's, it's definitely premature. And I think AMC is being pretty rash in trying to basically just step up to Universal like that, especially when AMC's just been in talks of trying to figure out how they're going to survive the summer, um, just due to everything going on and like what options they have so they don't go into bankruptcy. And just to try and square off with Universal, which is a much larger organization that's not really feeling as much heat right now, um, which a really dumb business move, especially to do it so boldly. 
<laughs> yeah, and I, I feel bad for AMC because, you know, like a lot of this is like they're all of these actions are like them being like a little scared because they want to stay alive and there's a ton of employees that work for them across the country and they want to keep their business around and they want to be successful. So, yeah, like they would just, they want to be a little brash and make sure that the studios know that they can't boss them around and they have to show their movies in theaters. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, what, <laughs> what bargaining power do you have here? Like um, I know there's like a, there's a theater manager um, uh, group that kind of works with studios to work on windowing and how much, what's the profit sharing and everything like that. And there are a lot of talks there, but um this is definitely um, kind of just like a last resort thing by AMC, just being like, "Hey, like we need to we need to survive, so we're we're prepared to do anything to let that happen." Um, but um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if it was particularly successful, so we'll see. And I think if they had had more theater chains kind of jump on board and be like, "You know what? Yes, we're gonna we're gonna agree," but the only uh, chain they had that said, "Yeah, we're gonna do it," the American branch of that chain was like, "No, we're we're not doing that." So I, I think they'll just kind of quietly retract here in the next few weeks, and especially once theaters actually get to opening. Yeah, no doubt. There's They'll reach some, probably some quiet agreement. And yeah, like you said, Regal already just came back and was like, yeah, sorry, like we're going to let Universal movies. And that's probably going to happen with AMC at some point. Because, um, yeah, like you said, they just want money. Like they, they want to have, they want to show these very successful movies and bring people out to the theaters. That's when... Because they make all their money off at this point, basically off of concessions and everything like that. So um, anything they can do to just in, just improve their profit margins is just ideal to them. So yeah, we're gonna. My guess is within the next week or so, we're we're gonna see some kind of retraction or maybe some sort of deal in place between AMC and Universal to make this work. Because um, it's definitely not gonna stay where it is right now. Yeah, I was a little nervous for a day because regal and amc are the only theater chains in my town and so i was like i'm i'm not gonna just have universal movies here anymore and but then fortunately regal uh, backtracked and that's where we are yeah it would be it would be bizarre like i like i'm not a crazy fan of the fast and the furious movies i like some of them some of them are pretty good uh probably fury 7 is probably like the best example of what those movies can be um but it would be very, very strange to just pop that in on my TV at home. I mean, like I know at home setups for everybody are getting better all the times, but it just, it just feels weird not being able to see that on a big screen or, or just not having theaters play that. Um, that's just very bizarre to me. Yeah. And I mean, the experience is definitely different going to the theaters. And I think, you know, unless you are somebody that has like a family and that's a big issue to try and get everybody to the theater. I think most people would agree that they'd rather see things blow up in IMAX than see things blow up on their TV at home with, you know, phones out and dogs barking and people running around. Yeah, there's no doubt. Like you go to those you uh, for like the Fight of the Furious, Jurassic World, all those like you go to see them on the biggest screen and just shove popcorn in your mouth and just get blown away by the crazy sound systems. Like that's what those movies are best for. Um, so, yeah, there would be. I agree. There'd be something. There'd be something lost there if it was just at home and you're, you just see Vin Diesel grovel about family while you're staring at Twitter and things like that. <laughs> it just, it just, it doesn't work. Um, and I think I'll, for I know there's so many 
fans of those movies that there would be something lost in some kind of fandom. Part of fandom would be lost if we were all just kind of siloed and watched them at home, uh, which would be kind of a bummer. I mean, like I said, they're not, I'm not the biggest fan of these movies, but for people who do love them, it would feel like kind of cheap to not be able to go see them in theaters. Yeah. And I, it, I think it'll ultimately come down to universal is going to see a lot more profit from the theater, just the way like that organization is set up to charge you for movies because you're paying for individual tickets and not, you know, this kind of in mass uh, streaming price that, that you would have if you, if you did release everything on video on demand. Yeah. And like, I feel like trolls world tour that the budget of that movie was right around 90 ish million, 95 max a hundred. I feel like that's probably the, like the best, like that's probably the highest budgeted movie given like the current state of VOD that can have a lot of success at home because like, yeah, while this like posturing back and forth, like there's still a crazy profit margin for all these big time movies when they put them in theaters, like, right. Cause they're making billions of mo- uh, dollars worldwide. And you, like for as successful as VOD is like, you can't, you just can't replicate that, uh, that theater, that profit margin there. So like until that gets changed, maybe there's some change in maybe like, like these bigger movies, you have to pay like 30 or $40 at home to pay something to see them or something like that. I don't really know. I don't really see a path forward for showcasing like a $300 million movie, like at home, like at the, the profitability, I just don't see it there. Um, so I think there's definitely some like something that has to get played out there. But I just I think this as as it is now, I think the VOD platform works a lot better for you know movies like The Way Back and that which released on VOD after its short release and things like like Emma, like The Invisible Man, like all these movies that are smaller in budget. There's less resources going into them um, that people are probably not as concerned about seeing in theaters, but they are interested. So I think those are the kind of, like a lot of those mid-budget movies, I think would probably benefit way more for just being straight to VOD at home. Yeah, and I think the other thing you have to look at is pre-corona shutdown. You know, your typical VOD rental would be like $3, maybe 5 if it's something a little bit newer. Um, but because of just the way they had to restructure with theater shutting down, you know, it jumped to 20 And I think people are okay with that now because... I mean, there literally aren't other things to go do, so you might as well spend money on something else. Um, but like, once we kind of open up and people are out, just living their normal lives or as normal as they can be again, I don't think people are going to be as ready and as um, easily coerced into paying the nineteen ninety nine to rent, you know, trolls. Yeah, and there's like with all that uncertainty, there's going to be some studio who takes a big swing with a VOD release and it just fails spectacularly. And I'm interested to see what that is. Um, I have no idea. Maybe it's like one of Disney's movies, like they try Mulan or something like that. I have no idea. I have no information on that, but there is going to be like, there is so much uncertainty like on this and the VOD side of everything where like someone will be like, Hey, let's try this and see what happens. And they wake up on Monday after it's release and they're like, Oh shit, we've lost so much money. <laughs> like that's going to happen somewhere. And it's going to, it's going to be unfortunate. And I think theaters like, yeah, they're, they are, they're slowly dying off and they're changing their business model a little bit, but they're for now, they are still very important and very important in a way. So um, it's definitely, it's uncharted territory. I think for basically everyone who's involved in this, like, I don't think anyone really knows <laughs> the answer, but they're all kind of speculating like they do. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of the 
theaters versus universal debate in a nutshell. But I, I think it's definitely something to watch um, in the, the coming months because we really are just going to see a little bit more of this since most of the summer releases have pulled back or um, just planned on releasing video on demand. I know Scoob at the end of this month is doing kind of the same thing. So I think it'll be interesting to, to watch as we get more data coming in and see whether or not Trolls was really a fluke or if this is indicative of anything. Yeah, and I think Tenet is the still the the first movie scheduled for, for when we, hopefully when we get all back to normalcy. And I'm sure that that one will be a fascinating case because I'm pretty sure Christopher Nolan has in his contract for all his movies that like you have to show this movie in theaters. Um, so Warner Brothers is a little stuck there. Um, so that'll be really interesting. But yeah, there's there's a lot to, <laughs> there's a lot to kind of parse through here, and it's all just very strange and. Yeah, I think we all have to kind of like counter all the things we say with about this conversation with like, I don't really know. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll see what happens. Like, sure, that sounds great. Um, there's a lot of smart people that are going to look really, really dumb <laughs> in the next few months. So it's absolutely something to monitor. Yeah, um, so it's, it's something to watch. Um, but other than that, the Oscars also had some pretty big shakeups this past week. Um, so the kind of the first one was they announced that they'll allow streaming movies for this calendar year. So because of the fact that a lot of movies that would probably be up for Oscars aren't going to get their usual theatrical release just because of everything being shuffled around. Um, they are allowing streaming movies uh, that don't have a theatrical re release, which is uh, pretty exciting. And I think it really opens up the, the field for movies that wouldn't have had a shot at the Academy Awards. Um, but they also announced that sound mixing and sound editing would be condensed into one category, uh, which is some people have been pretty whatever about it, but I've seen a lot of people get uh, pretty upset about it. And I, I can understand with that as well. Yeah. So I think just tackling this, the streaming section of it first, um, it's very interesting. I mean, I'm really intrigued to see what kind of just shakes out between all for all this. I wonder does this mean like some of the, like the smaller movies that are due out this fall? Does that mean that they just go straight to VOD because they're like, ah, oh, well, theaters don't look great. Let's just put out, let's put something out now um, and see what happens. Um, and I think that's like you could see movement for maybe something like um, the French Dispatch. Maybe that tries to do something. Some of these more mid-budget movies that might not do not might not have like these crazy profit margins like i mentioned before with all the the fast and the furious movies and things like that um so i think that's really interesting and um uh, just a strong possibility but other than that like i don't know about you but do you see like i don't necessarily see like the oscars now like okay we're gonna be really interested in a horror movie that was on streaming or i don't really see them like I, do you see like them allowing streaming movies to be eligible. Do you see that as like, oh, we're gonna kind of like pay attention more to more of these experimental and genre movies, or do you do you see them just kind of going back to what they what they normally do when they praise movies that are quote unquote like unimportant? Yeah, I I think it opens the door for some of these smaller movies to get in, but I don't think we'll see just a ton of it. I think it'll the movies that they've kind of already pegged to be Oscar movies next year are probably still gonna be what's on slate. Um, but I, I do like the idealistic thought that maybe some small indie movie could sneak in there somewhere. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I would love to see St. Francis best picture winner, <laughs> which just be so <laughs> great to me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of this though, like through all the, all the uncertainty, I think 
they'll be a little nervous and just probably just pick a safe choice. Um, and knowing the Oscars, I mean, so they Moonlight wins in 2016, then we get The Shape of Water and Green Book, and then we had a, another really cool pick this year in, uh, in Parasite, obviously. So I wonder, like, if there's going to be some some sort of like, all right, we did something weird, so let's go back to basics here. And I wonder if streaming just allows them to just kind of hone in on some of the more classic Oscar choices. Um, I don't know. It's really interesting. I, I feel like the big uh, winner in all this is David Fincher's Mank, which is supposed to come out later this fall, which is obviously about um, Herman Mankiewicz and his battle with Orson Welles for screenwriting credit on Citizen Kane. Um, and it's just that, just that logline alone just screams Oscar movie, you know, where it's just this movie's going to, it's about movies. It's about Hollywood. It's the movie's going to be in black and white. Um, it seems like that's kind of like the big winner in all of this because it just it hits it hits all the beats. But and it's a David Fincher movie, so it's probably not gonna. I my hope is it's not gonna be like the really boring Oscar pick that when they they just love to they love movies that are important but they aren't really important. Uh, my hope is that David Fincher does something a little more with that. But I see that as the kind of the big winner here. Yeah, and I think. The movies that are getting released in the usual Oscar window in, you know, kind of September through December, basically, are going to be pretty untouched by all the rescheduling. I mean, they're going to have a more crowded box office, but they're not we're not seeing those get pushed back or moved around quite as much. And so I think we'll still have, I mean, kind of the same slate as we would have before. I, I would like to believe again, that this would make a huge impact, but I, I don't think it's really going to change anything. I think it just helps movies that are kind of being slighted by the current shift. So movies that would have released here last month in April or now in May or even June and July that wouldn't have hit the window. Um, it just gives them a little bit more opportunity to be represented since they couldn't follow through, through on theatrical releases. I'm curious, do you have... A pick, like if you had to choose something from this first half of the year, do you what like? Do you see any of the movies that are released as being like sort of like a sneaky possible Oscar um, movie now that all this has changed, or do you not really see anything at all? Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, <laughs> first, no, I think I don't know. There's nothing that's really struck me as. I mean, because. I mean, there are a few things that I saw at Sundance that I'd be like, yeah, I could see that um, just based on stuff that's come out. But I haven't really seen anything. I feel like um, The Way Back would get it just by default because there hasn't there haven't really been that many Oscar movies yet this year. But I don't see anything that that really stands out that I'd be like, yes, I I need to see this in the best picture race. Yeah, me, me, me either. Maybe I don't know if I had to guess, maybe like like at the very least, like Elizabeth Moss for Invisible Man, the best actress nom, maybe. Um, that's, but even that, it's like, yeah, it's a horror movie. Like Oscars are like, oh, what is this? I just like my period pieces about things that are sp about white people doing things. <laughs> like, I don't really know like if that really works with them. It's tough. Yeah, like The Way Back does seem like it's like the one sort of Oscar-y movie where it's a movie star dealing with like just troubling issues and it, it's just like it's very straightforward and it's a good I like that movie a lot but it does seem like that's kind of like the more like the most tailor-made for this but yeah other than that like I'm trying to think if there's any like Netflix movies I've seen that are like 
that could work for this. Maybe Tiger Tail, because that was kind of a big deal for that for Netflix when that movie released, and that's a pretty pretty solid sort of indie-ish movie about the immigrant experience that I think could sneak in there. Maybe. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't really see much, which is kind of a bummer. But yeah, let's let's uh, just cro- uh, just pray for Sonic the Hedgehog to win, <laughs> or Bad Boys for <laughs> Life, or Birds of Prey. <laughs> I think really where we'll see the most change is going to be with um, visual effects because now that all these blockbusters have been pushed into next year, you do have movies like Sonic or even like Birds of Prey that probably wouldn't have stood a chance in the final visual effects um, face-offs or just in effects in general um, that'll probably get a little bit more recognition and that'll kind of extend to makeuping and and just kind of those more technical categories in the Oscars. Yeah, that's very true. I could, I could definitely see a lot more below the line stuff now that you mentioned, like birds of prey that makes a lot of sense for like costuming and like makeup and hair design and hair design. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe Sonic, they might be like, all right, we, <laughs> we see what you did there. You had to go back to the drawing board to, for the CG to fix Sonic. So like here, Good job. Here's your visual effects award. Um, I don't see that, but that would be hilarious to me. Um, and now I really want it to happen. <laughs> but yeah, like you could see like a couple of these sneak in as like sort of, I don't know, bad boys for life visual effects. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, and then sound mixing and editing. I feel like I understand why they combine them because I don't think most people really can or most people really care to really seek out the difference between the two. Um, but I, I do understand that you are dealing with different collaborators. So you have the people actually creating the sounds versus the people putting everything together and balancing everything. Um, so I think you're, you're not necessarily sliding the movie, but you're definitely sliding the people behind the movie by doing that. Yeah. I feel bad. Cause like, I, it's like the one chance that these people get their like get to shine and like have their speech and get rewarded for all their hard work. Uh, it's it's kind of a bummer in that sense. But yeah, I I do understand like all of the extenuating circumstances around it. Like there's been a big push for forever for the Oscars to shorten their telecast and because they have like movies that or shows that they're trying to show after the award the award ceremony's over that they want like a lot of viewers for and they don't want it to go on too late things like that and yeah they're just they're just finding trying to find creative ways to just shorten everything up and i mean i get it too like there's always a moment like every like february where i'm like oh shit wait which one's editing which one's mixing uh (laughs) and i have to like refresh myself so yeah like yeah yeah like like no one like out of all these like i feel like that it makes the most sense if you're gonna have to condense one of these categories that they have like I like I certainly like if it was up to me I would just have like eighty thousand awards and this the, the award show would take like ten years to get through. <laughs> you have like all these crazy things, but I, I I understand for their perspective where this makes the most sense. But yeah, I feel I feel bad for like the lone sound mixer who can't have his speech and everything that that makes me a little sad because they're always like the, the happiest because <laughs> they're like oh my god i won an award um which it, yeah I, I miss that those are like the fun little things i see in the oscars but i get it it makes a lot of sense to me yeah and and that's kind of my thing is i understand why they did it but 
I'm I'm sure it'll it'll probably come up more as we get closer to the Oscars. Um, another cool thing that they did with was with the international features. So basically, um, it, uh, people are calling this the Portrait of Lady on Fire Award because or rule because uh, France failed to nominate that as it, as its uh, film for the international feature, and that's like gone to be like one of the most beloved films of the last like five ten years. Um, but basically, like there's they're changing the system around that so that they can that the Academy members are more more voting on the best ones instead of having one come up from each country. But yeah, that's just a cool little tidbit that I appreciate them doing because it'll it'll just show better be able to show more films and just the ones that we like more. Um, so good good on them for that one. Get on you, Academy. Um, <laughs> but we'll move on to the top 10 Netflix movies. Um, so I'll just run through a list of those and we can touch on some of the movies that um, are, are noteworthy to us. Uh, so the top movie in, in the U.S. this week was Dangerous Lies, which was a new release for them, followed by Extraction, which released last week. Uh, so still pretty recent. And then All Day and a Night was number three, which was also a new release for them. Uh, Den of Thieves, number four. Number five was Murder to Mercy, which is a new documentary for them. The Half of It at number six, which is also new for them, followed by The Willoughbys at number seven, which is recently new, uh, which is also a Netflix original. And then uh, Despicable Me in the number eight spot, followed by Django Unchained in number nine. And number 10 is Battle Los Angeles. Um, so Netflix, um, honestly, like, cleared the board with their own stuff this week, which we haven't seen a whole lot of recently. Yeah. They're, they're really just like, they're cranking out so many movies now. Like, yeah, they have four new movies this week. They're putting stuff out all the time. Like the amount of resources that they have now is kind of crazy. Um, and I think they're really starting to figure out how to correctly market all of their stuff. And I know there's a big like TV show, the teen TV show that they released too. I think it was called like Never Have I Ever, something like that. But like teens are going nuts for it, and it's like a big deal um, on the series side of everything on Netflix. So yeah, they're they're doing really well in that case. But <laughs> I guess the only movie here that really is interest is interesting to me is Den of Thieves. Which have you seen Den of Thieves? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Den of Thieves. Uh, flashback to I think this was 20, 2018. So January of twenty eighteen. I'm sitting in. Just, just the theater. I'm like one of the few people there preparing for just the next in a long line of Gerard Butler, just ultra masculine crime and like just war movies that he's gone through since 300. And I'm just thinking like, all right, what the hell is this going to be? Like, is this, this is going to be terrible. Like 50 cents in here. Like, what is this? Um, but uh, two hours and 20 minutes later, and I can't, um, <laughs> I, can't, I just, that, that, that runtime is insane, but, um, just, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I think Den of Thieves has quickly turned into, I feel like a lot of people have appreciated this movie as it's come on like streaming. I think it was on stars for a while, uh, but it's turned into kind of like a, like, a, a cable hit for a lot of people. And it's, it's basically just a heat knockoff. So you like you watch this movie and you're like, oh, that's Heat. Oh, that's Heat 2. Oh, there's a shootout that reminds me exactly like Heat. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's such a blatant ripoff, but it's also really good, weirdly enough. Gerard Butler plays, uh, basically he plays the Al Pacino uh, role from Heat. He's the, he's the cop in all of this. Um, and he's just on one. I think he was 
one of this is one of the few movies where he was super into it and he gained like 20 or 25 pounds for the role and he's just like he's just going crazy throughout the this entire movie it's just like an iconic Gerard Butler performance in the way that he can perform <laughs> but out of all of these movies I would say Den of Thieves is the one that sticks out to me because I think it's it's a really fun uh, movie like if you know what it is if if you know what you're getting into it's just a really good cop just just drama action thriller um it kind of knows what it is even though if it's super long there's a lot of really good sequences in it and um i would say jackson jr's in it and he's like really awesome uh, so yeah then of thieves <laughs> i had to watch this out of any of the other movies that are here because well maybe django but we've talked about that in other weeks that's probably the best movie here but uh, then of thieves is really good i like it yeah i had a little bit loftier watch goals uh, than Netflix's top 10 <laughs> list this week, which we'll, we'll get into in a minute. So I, I really didn't watch, or I definitely didn't watch anything on their top 10 list. Um, I did hit uh, Netflix a little bit, which I'll talk about when we get to what we've been watching, but it just, their, uh, their original content wasn't doing it for me ever since Tiger King ended. Yeah, I get it. They, they do a lot of like, like super segmenting where it's like they, they bring out their their teen stuff and they do like they're not great but like kind of like dude action movie that a lot of people will watch um which is i feel like that's what den of thieves kind of throws it is into as well but yeah like i can't really think of like the last great movie that they've done outside of like the reward stuff <laughs> they save all their great stuff for the end of the year <laughs> So yeah, and that's Netflix. They are currently uh, more are worth more than Disney. So that's a thing. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, we can just kind of talk about a little bit of what we've been watching lately. Um, so I had a pretty lofty goal Friday morning, uh, which was to watch every Shrek movie. And <laughs> <laughs> so I know I've seen Shrek two within the past year. I'm pretty sure the last time I watched the first Shrek was like five years ago in a Spanish class. And then I don't think I'd see in the three or four or Puss in Boots since they released. Um, so it was like, what a day. Because um, you start <laughs> off with Shrek and you're like, this is all right. And then you quickly peek with Shrek 2 and it's just a hard drop down with uh, three and four. And then surprisingly, Puss in Boots was like another spike in it. And I was like, whoa, I just, I just went up. <laughs> Went on a roller coaster of enjoyment, um, but it was it was a fun Friday. I don't even. What's the plot of the third one? I just remember that Justin Timberlake is in it, and that's like literally all I remember about it. So the third one, um, Shrek doesn't want to be the king, and so he goes to find a replacement in King Arthur, and then Prince Charming like leads a revolt with all the villains and takes over far, far away, and Fiona oh, okay. gets pregnant at some point. Got it. Oh, that's right. Like, you can see, because like Andrew Adamson left after Shrek 2 to go make the Narnia movies, and you can like you can definitely see where new people stepped in, and they're like, well, let's just triple down on the pop culture references and just go nuts with it. So like Shrek 3 is just bam, pop culture joke, pop culture joke, pop culture joke. And then there's like, the best way to describe it is there's a scene where Shrek is trying to sound hip so he can relate to King Arthur. Like, you know, like when older people start throwing around words like swag and whatnot. <laughs> and that's what this entire movie feels like. Oh, no. <laughs> but then 
Shrek 4, which I I had thought was the worst one, is just like way more straightforward and has way fewer pop culture references. And like, it's still pretty bad because like the entire movie, nobody really does anything. But it was at least better than <laughs> Shrek the Third. That's uh, Rumpelstiltskin's the the villain in that one, right? And there's like a time travel element. I don't even remember that one much either. Yeah, so that one Shrek wants to be scary again, so he <laughs> gives away one day for so he can have a day like if he'd never met Fiona. But then he gets tricked and he gets caught in this world where he never experienced the events of Shrek one, and. So it's just like it's just like this little adventure of him trying to get Fiona to fall in love with him again. And then Puss in Boots gets the fat Thor gag and it's just like a little ball. And <laughs> like it's it was it was fun, but it, there's just like nothing happening the entire movie. I took a girl on a date to Shrek four. So that that kind of tells you where I was at. Uh, adolescent Nicholas over here <laughs> <laughs> just taking girls to go see Shrek 4 um, so. was, it, was it the first date though? <laughs> it was the first date <laughs> just a weird time for me, not, not, not a time I want to return to, that's my only memory of Shrek 4 <laughs> so like, I grew up like right in the peak of the Shrek era, like I think Shrek 4 is probably the earliest theater memory I, or Shrek, Shrek 2 is probably the earliest theater memory I have and like that that time where everything like ketchup and Oreos and everything were colored Shrek green for like promotion for Shrek 2 because it was just in the middle of Shrek mania. And then like Shrek the third came around when I was getting into my teenage years and I was like, yeah, I, I don't really care about this anymore. And uh, like I I barely remembered anything from Shrek for Puss in Boots. Yeah, so Puss in Boots is actually good. Because I have yeah, never actually like, seen it. It's really irrelevant, and but it's just like this nice little hour and a half adventure, and like I thought the action scenes in it were a lot of fun, and it's just like a chase, and there's some pretty good visual gags because it's, it's basically just they put Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek in like a PG Desperado, and they just have fun with it. Look at that, eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Good for you, Puss in Boots. I never realized that was actually like considered a decent movie. <laughs> yeah, like I, I had almost no memory of it, and so I, just, I went in and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is kind of a bad movie, right? And then I was like, Well, this is way better than the last two movies I watched. <laughs> so basically, your cinema experience in life peaked this weekend because you watched every yeah, show. It's, it's it's wild. <laughs> it's a day well spent. <laughs> so while you while you were basking in the glory of just cinema's just highest peaks ever i was watching um i was watching um the south by southwest slate that's on uh prime video which i thought was really cool good job by amazon just uh, premiering any of the movies that the creators wanted to show and kind of give them a platform to show their movies because unfortunately south by southwest was canceled in march um but i thought it was really cool because i i low-key appreciate amazon studios because their their head i think was came from Sundance. She, she was a big, or I forget, I don't know if it's a he or she, but uh, she was. Uh, they were big uh, at Sundance as the, one of the curators there for their program. So they've, I feel like they've had like a pretty decent picker of like what they choose to show on that platform, even if like they immediately bury them on their, <laughs> and no one can watch them, but they're good movies. Uh, 
so I like this move for them. And I, so I've been spending a lot of time going through the shorts. Um, I'm, I've watched 18 of the shorts. I think there's like 30 or something like that on there. Um, but there's a few that I really liked. Um, so one of them, the first one that I really enjoyed was the short called Blocks. Uh, so it's the the story of it's really funny. It, the the story is a, of it is a woman, a, a mom just basically in the middle of one of the days she starts uh, puking up Legos. <laughs> that's so that's the whole like conceit of it. It's really funny. So it's basically like her like a like an existential comedy where it's playing off of you know like her like struggling to keep up with her kids and having so many like jobs to do around the house and cleaning up everything. And it's, it's funny because. <laughs> I was nervous because because I, I was like I went into it. I was like, all right, I need to see some really good like vomit takes because like so normally that stuff repulses me. But it's like Legos like it'll be hilarious if they get it on camera. And like the first one they show, it's like it's off camera. Like you see her like uh, doubled over the toilet. Like you don't see like the Legos actually coming out. And I was like, God damn, <laughs> they're cheaping out on me. And, and there's another one that it just they actually show the Legos coming out. And I laughed hysterically. It was so funny. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a really funny, goofy 12 minutes that I really appreciate. And it's one of the better ones that I watched. Um, but then another one I really appreciated was this one called Figurant, um, which stars, uh, Dennis Levant, uh, who people probably know as the main dude from Holy Motors, just a, just a really good art house, uh, actor. Um, and this one was really interesting. I think this is probably my favorite of the group that I've seen because it's basically, I feel like it's one of the few that uses the short film like timing and just the constraints of that of this part of the medium to, to its full effect because it's it's basically a really short uh, microcosm of what it's like to be a soldier where like he's just like some guy he, he doesn't he he has no um, dialogue in the entire movie and they explain what a figure on means at the end they show like the 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 dictionary definitions. Um, but he has no idea what he's doing. He's kind of out of it. And the people like he goes to this like warehouse and they're like, all right, take off your clothes, put on this uniform and all this stuff. And they're like throwing them around and they're like, all right, throw all your stuff in a bag and we'll take care of it. And later he get he, later he gets the bag back and it's just not his stuff. Um, but like they take, it's basically like they prepare you for war, like in a, a very hastily and you just, then they go out into a field and, um, and basically just simulate war for a little bit. And they just, at the end of it, they just take you, like, they bring you back in, and they kick you out, and that's it. And I think that's a really good just show of just war and kind of how it, people are treated sometimes. I thought it was really, really brilliant, and Daniel Levant is really great. It's just kind of like this older dude who just has no idea what's going on. He's just so confused throughout of it. Um, so I really like that one. Um, and then the last one I watched as as part of the short program was this uh, – it, it was a doc with a few um, – like the reenactments in there. It's called Modern Horror. And it's about a sex worker who's recounting a lot of her experiences that she's had with clients. Um, and she she found this message board basically where people where all the men were basically talking about like how like they were rating her, like just going in like very strong detail about her and like um, just how she performed and everything. And uh, she quickly realized that all of them are just blatantly lying about their experience because she remembers like a lot of like the a lot of just like the little details of it. And like, there was this one guy who was like, yeah, best sex ever. It was so great. And then she was like, she comes on camera herself and she's like, yeah, dude had erectile dysfunction. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we just didn't do anything. 
<laughs> so uh, it's it's a really funny uh, sex positive uh, doc, and it's like they recount a lot of these interactions very hilariously, and it's very irreverent. Um, and I really like that one a lot. So um, out of the shorts I've seen so far, like like I said, I still have like thirteen or twelve left to watch, but um, those are the kind of the, th- the highlights that I've had. Yeah, I also watched some shorts this weekend. Um, namely Shrek in the Swamp Karaoke Dance Party and <laughs> Far Far Away Idol uh, which is just A1 content <laughs> which was better out of the two <laughs> uh, Far Far Away Idol because Simon Cowell just shows up and is, is like oh, a huge part right. of that one I totally forgot about that and I, like, I remember that from my childhood because it was like <laughs> if you don't vote for anybody he'll stand up and like I'm the winner and then he'll sing a song like after all these Shrek characters have just gotten up and sang. That's so funny because I was right in the right in like the heyday of American Idol, right? When that when that came out. So like Simon was like the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, this was where like this was pretty pre meme, but this was like he was everywhere. <laughs> uh, I never watched the show, but I knew exactly who he was and like what his personality was and what he sounded like. <laughs> I feel like Shrek in general is just the beginning of memes. You know, I mean, yeah, like, it's, I, like Shrek is love is like be taken on a life of its own. But I feel like we all like watch that and we're like, ah, this this movie gets us <laughs> all us memers out there. <laughs> I talked about it in my <laughs> little letterboxed review, but I don't I think like Shrek is almost on the same level as Star Wars, where like you can't really measure how big of an impact it's had on pop culture <laughs> because it's just everywhere. Like there hasn't been an actual Shrek movie with Shrek in it for 10 years. And like, he's still all over the internet and it's just growing and growing. It's so true. It's, it is kind of crazy when you think about it, where like out of all the movies, like Avatar, one of the biggest movies ever, like no one talks about that. And the last movie that was about a decade ago that that came out. And then we have Shrek who's just like, like half the movies are decent and like, and that's kind of it, but it's just such a singular idea that it, Worked out really well. That's really funny. But I think it's a perfect segue <laughs> to what I wanted to talk about next, which was the one – it's the one um, feature-length uh, film that I got to watch from the South by Southwest uh, slate on Prime yet. Uh, I hope to get through a lot – through most of them after I finish all the shorts. But uh, the one I watched, uh, the title of it is uh, TFW, No GF, which of course is the – the Wojak me where it's that feeling when no girlfriend. <laughs> um, so basically this doc is all about, um, it explains the beginning of the Wojak meme, which I mean, you've, everyone's probably seen it where it's just kind of like the scribbly drawn dude. Who's just kind of looks sad and depressed. Um, but this, it explains how this was created on 4chan and it creates it from it. It takes that uh, end of, as point A and, and leads to basically it, it follows a bunch of a uh, bunch of disaffected uh, men who just are just on Twitter and 4chan all the time um, who just are struggling with loneliness. And it, and it kind of, it tries to connect the two, like the meme, like meme culture and hyper satire with all of like, just like loneliness that a lot of young men feel, um, which is very, it was a really interesting idea. And we, like it's really funny because we like when Joker was coming out, there were so many jokes about like oh the people that are going to see this movie and there's a there's a sequence in this 
in this documentary that discusses like <laughs> joke the, the discusses Joker and it discusses kind of when it like this guy had um, was trying to be funny and he like made this tweet that got people scared um, uh, in the in the media and the police contacted him and everything like that. So it kind of goes it it tries to dive into kind of like pseudo incel culture because you talk about these guys like these guys they ask them it's like hey do you really think that you're involved like in incel culture do you think you're an incel and they're like yeah not really but we can kind of like we feel like those are the people that take it that take our live livelihood or just our lives too far um which i thought was really interesting but like the issue with this doc is it never once questions these people um so like they like they sit online and they make kind of horrible jokes but um all day and like i'm sure you've seen like they're basically just trolling at a really high level um and it interviews a bunch of people from around the country and it never want want uh never questions them ever like why why do you do this like why is this good for you but it, it tries to just get you to empathize with them and show the show how lonely they are which um is kind of a bummer it feels like it's kind of a baffling choice to not like question them at all on it um but so i didn't really i can't i can't really say i loved this uh, doc uh but i was really interested in it and it kept my attention because i'm one for many spicy memes and there's a bunch of they're pretty good with um there's a couple things about the prince of zimbabwe in there um just just joker memes and bojack stuff it feels really current it doesn't feel like it's like some 40 year old trying to sound hip like you mentioned before uh but yeah it's not very good because it does struggle with like how to tackle the like like how to dissect these people, but um, it's definitely really interesting, and I would recommend that you see it and then maybe make your own um, like interpretation of it. So what you're saying is this is my Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I'm shocked that 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 actually never comes up that that in the doc. I was so sure that someone was going to say it at some point because you hear them talk and it's like the most stere- like what you would picture as these dudes who are just like doing these crazy memes on our unfortunate all the time you would expect them to, to say that but no it never comes up which was an oversight that's the only reason i hate this movie because they didn't say that uh, um yeah yeah top so, that one after my shrek binge i uh i weirdly stumbled into like a roman binge this past week because i started listening to this history of rome podcast and then I jumped into uh, Caesar and Cleopatra on the Criterion channel. And so um, I've had the Blu-ray of 1963's Cleopatra for a couple years because it was it was ridiculously cheap. And I was like, well, it's history, so I might as well own it. And then I just <laughs> never had the initiative to watch it. And so I sat down to watch it yesterday. And the uh, so it's basically two different movies because you've got one movie that's Caesar and Cleopatra and then one movie that's uh, Mark Antony in Cleopatra. And I think like if it was just that first movie, just the first half uh, with Caesar and Cleopatra, I think it would legitimately like crack my top 100 because it is just it's just a really great dynamic that the movie explores. And and there, yeah, there's like a lot of epic and flash to it. Um, but I, I just love the dynamic between the two. And then the second half just kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like Mark Antony just kind of comes off like anakin in the star wars prequels oh no. and it's fun because you see like Brody mcdowell who had only ever seen under heavy ape makeup uh plays caesar augustus and like 
he was just a lot of fun to watch him just like get angry at everybody. Um, but like, yeah, it's just, it doesn't feel very good. And you definitely, it feels like another movie is starting. It doesn't really feel like the story's continuing because what I kind of came to realize was that Cleopatra is probably the least important character in these movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, she's in them, but most of the plot and story take place without her especially in the first movie and then even a lot of it in the second movie where yeah she's in it a lot and she's kind of technically the lead just because she's on screen quite a bit but like so much more of that movie is focused on mark antony who really just wasn't established very well and yeah that's that's kind of my story thoughts on it but you definitely see why it's the was the most expensive movie ever made because i mean the set design and, and the action holds up really well for this being a 50 year old movie like i was i was just as into the like big chase scenes and fight scenes as i would be you know if i were watching something fairly modern because because of all the money they poured into making everything look real and big and fully realized yeah i look at something like cleopatra and it's like oh yeah i'll get to that at some point uh it's it's a movie of importance in history. Like it's like it's probably necessary to to see it at some point. But then I keep looking at that four hour plus runtime, and I just think like, ugh, that's. <laughs> let, can I look on? Let's look on Netflix for an eighty minute movie instead. <laughs> yeah, you You definitely need to make sure you're ready for it and be into it because otherwise, you're just not gonna have the drive. Like I was so exhausted by the end of that movie. By the end of this, the second movie, when I finished the first half and it's big enough that you have to switch Blu-ray discs, which I've never had to do that with a Blu-ray disc before. But <laughs> as soon as I switched the first disc in, I was like, yeah, that was actually really good. I'm ready to go. And then just all of my enthusiasm was sapped slowly out of the next two hour and 14 minutes of the second movie. <laughs> That sounds painful to me. <laughs> I'll watch Francis Ha again, which is like 82 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what I watched this week. And then now that I'm pretty much done with school for the year, I'm sure I'll just get into more crazy, weird Shrek-like binges. Maybe oh, if, please, maybe if I'm feeling up to it someday, I'll hit all the Rocky movies in one day. Oh, that'd be good. I feel, I feel like the slope downward is pretty consistent right because you have like rocky is the only one that was ever like critically loved and then you have rocky four which if you say anything bad against you're just a communist (laughs) and then like i don't i honestly don't know if i've ever seen any of them but three and four all the way through like i know i've definitely seen all of them at some point but but the only one I can really remember is the fourth one. So maybe that'll be next week's challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I don't think that one would be too bad because like, yeah, like you're right. Like the Rockies, the first one is probably like, it's a classic movie. Everyone likes that movie, but the rest of them are incredibly watchable except for Rocky five, which is basically an abomination um, <laughs> that I've, that I never want to see again, but it is so bad. But the rest of them, like one through four, then you have Rocky Balboa, which is actually pretty good. Then obviously the Creed stuff, like all those movies are very watchable. Um, so like, I mean, I think there's like AMC or like one of those channels, like go, they do like a marathon at some point. And like, I've sat down and watched like a bunch of them and it's like, ah, this is actually kind of fun because they move really fast. The fighting's really good. 
for the most part. And it's fun to see Sylvester Stallone do his thing. And then um, and, and they do a really good job of, of adding like a really fun like antagonist throughout a lot of those because you got Apollo Creed, then you got Mr. T in there. Um, it's Clubber Lang, and then you got uh, just obviously um, Dolph Lundgren, which is just incredible. Um, so, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there that I think that would be actually be a really fun uh, day of watching. Yeah, I, I think I think I could be up for it. We'll see. You could do it. I believe in you. I, I want to get a little bit more back into Capital C Cinema because I, I definitely <laughs> took a break this weekend, but. <laughs> So you mean you're watching Joker again? Uh, yeah, I've actually seen it five times today alone. Okay, cool. Um, this... I watched I watched Alita uh, ten times yesterday. It was a great day for me. So if you learned anything from this podcast, <laughs> it's that you should be checking out these two movies specifically <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> um, but I think that, <laughs> that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, we'll be back next week talking about whatever craziness is going on. Maybe we'll see some more developments with uh, Universal versus the theater chains, and we'll have more recommendations and, and plenty more stuff to talk about. So remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabblereviews.com, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>